Welcome in. I'm so glad you made us part of your day. I'm Tony Moore, expert food and beverage headhunter, semi-professional podcaster, and I interview the best heads in business to bring you all the important trends shaping the $6 trillion food and beverage industry. My totally awesome brands featured here take us deep into the world of sustainability and the plant-based food movement, the up-and-coming CBD and good-for-you categories. How about the purpose and mission-based companies striving to make real change in our world? They're here too. The latest in food tech. You want to learn how to build a brand, maybe scale a brand? I've got you covered. Don't forget to subscribe and follow me on LinkedIn. Stay tuned. 2022 has got so many opportunities on the horizon. I've talked to so many new brand startups, big, big plans. And I got to tell you, I think this is one of the best times to start a brand, particularly a food and beverage brand, because the pandemic has really turned the whole selling aspect really on its ear. You know, what do I mean by that? Well, You don't have to hit the road the way you used to. Now you can have meetings over the phone, over Zoom, category managers, brand managers. They are now kind of dealing with this new world of selling. It's even easier now to launch a brand. And that is what we're going to be talking about today, specifically how to launch an an alcoholic beverage and why that's much more difficult than a normal beverage brand. Now, I have a special guest host today. Kevin, I'm really excited to introduce you to my audience and to our listeners. Kevin Scott, he is a Coca-Cola executive of more than 30 years. He has a background in sales, marketing, and general management. He led a team generating over a billion dollars in annual gross profit. I want you to think about that. Profit. That's not we're not talking top line and was instrumental in the acquisition of some brands that we all know, Vitamin Water, Smart Water, he played a big part in that. Kevin works with me on many projects. Uh, for those of you who are starting a brand, he's really a hired gun at this point, okay? He's a, he's a fractional consultant for CPG Brands, and he's gonna join me this year on some special occasions. And today we have just that special occasion. John Bailing is with us today. He, I want to give you a quick overview of his background. He was the director of marketing at Coke, later was the EVP for House of Blues Entertainment, then the chief marketing officer for Clearly Canadian, which is the sparkling water. And currently, he is the president of Juju Labs, which is a, a wine and beer brand. And they create this, what they call this science of deliciousness. I love it when they try to describe <laughs> these, these flavors and how it's, how it's engineered. And they have just launched a new wine product that we want to talk about today. It's called Mr. Mardi Gras Wine. Uh, so, Kevin, what what am I missing with John? I think you've worked with him. You have some knowledge of of John. Yeah, Tony. Uh, first of all, thanks for the intro. And um, yeah, and the what you talked about, John, it, it goes even beyond that. And and here's where I'm excited. Whether you're listening for the first time and you have experience in CPG beverages, or if you're an expert, or you're in between, or just considering maybe going down that path. We're going to be very, very lucky to hear John speak just because of the different companies he's had, the different leadership roles he's had, the wealth of knowledge. So 
if you're listening for the first time, I would really suggest you may want to take some notes because John is a wealth of information. And you talked about the different companies he's come from. And so he's very, very diverse in what he's seen, what he's experienced, uh, challenges. And, and we'll uncover that as we speak to him over the next 30 minutes or so. So um, I, I'm looking forward to it. And, and I think at this point, John, it'd be great if you just give us the background of Juju and where you are, how this evolved and, and you know, w- what it's taken you to, to finally get this product you know, to the shelf. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. Good morning. Um, well, well, it goes back even a little further than that. A, a uh, mutual friend of, of the chairman and I contacted me uh, wanted to know about what I thought about this product. And Mr. Mardi Gras wines, uh, it's a fruit-based uh, wine that is actually a little carbonated, and I say a little carbonated, uh, in a can. And he had contacted me and said, well, I love the name, love the concept. And I said, first, I need to, I'd like to try it because I'm a firm believer. And if I'm going to represent a product, and I'm not saying my palate is the end-all, be-all palate, but I think I've got a pretty diverse palate in terms of what I think tastes good and what maybe the consumer will like. Uh, but I also know I've tasted a lot of stuff that went, oh, my gosh, this is awful. But anyway, so they said, it's unfortunately, it's true. You have to pass the taste test. I mean, if you can't get past the taste test, like Mr. Wonderful would say, take it behind the barn and shoot it. Well, I I think we can all go into a store. Maybe we've tried something and you you kind of scratch your head and go, wow, how did this even make the shelf? But uh, anyway, they sent me some samples. I thought it was actually really pretty good. And if you don't know much about the wine in a can category, it's actually pretty new and there's no real runaway leader. Uh, you know, I, I used to work at Red Bull uh, before my days at Coca-Cola and, and we event, we basically started the energy drink category. And now there's, you know, hundreds and hundreds of energy drinks out there, but in the, in the canned wine category, there's real, no, really no leader. And, uh, you know, the wine purists will say, oh, you know, wine shouldn't be in a can. But there's this younger generation that we all know wants convenience. They're on the go. And, and, uh, you know, Tony, you said, you know, we've created the science of deliciousness. And we've also got a couple internal catchphrases. Uh, We we say we're for Hobbes, which is short for hobbyists, not snobs. And so we're definitely not the group that grabs a glass and, you know, swirls it and smells it and lets the bouquet, you know, get some oxygen in there. But uh, we're for the everyday fun partier kind of uh, person that wants to enjoy a good tasting wine. I just I love the idea that you're approaching it with a can and that you're adding carbonation to it, which is kind of reverse of what typically happens with wine. And I know this is an audio podcast, but we'll have to get some really cool pictures of your of your cans up because I've seen them and they you think Mardi Gras, I mean this can literally just screams, this is fun. This is Mardi Gras. So what look a lot of these brands that come on here have some kind of a mission or there's a, a goal, some kind of aspirational Goal. What's the the? Are there any underlying you know themes that you're that you're looking for here with with this brand? Yeah, l- let me let me kind of explain the quick story. So the the way the product started is is our, our chairman Sanjeev uh, was friends with a gentleman by the name of Blaine Kern, 
who just passed away last year uh, at about, I think, 93 years old. But the, the real story behind this is Blaine's uh, surname, if you will, was Mr. Mardi Gras. I mean, he, <laughs> he, if you Google him, you'll, that's the first thing that'll come up. And Blaine's company, Mardi Gras World, is the company that makes all the floats for Mardi Gras and floats for other parades. And uh, he basically said Mardi Gras should be for everybody because a long, long time ago it was frankly for the rich elitists. And now it's just a celebration for, for all of us. And so that's how he kind of was anointed by the mayor at the time as Mr. Mardi Gras. He was all about fun and partying and, and, and enjoying the city of New Orleans. Well, our chairman was doing some business with Blaine uh, on another total capacity. And he said, when I come down for this meeting, I want to bring some wines that I've made in my basement. Because like a lot of entrepreneurs and and uh, people, whether you're brewing, you know, home beer in your basement and when you're out in Northern California, area, there's a lot of people that make homemade wine in their basement. So we brought some bottles of wine to him and Blaine said, I love this product. It tastes fantastic. We need to put the Mardi Gras name on it. Well, fast forward, Blaine uh, got a little ill. The project went on hold and uh, after he passed away, uh, the conversation was brought up back again with his uh Holly Kern, his widowed wife, and they said, let's do this. And then that's how really the project started again. And so, um, you know, you, Tony, you mentioned the fact of carbonation. So if, if people that don't know the wine industry, when you naturally ferment wine, it gets carbonated. It's just a natural, you know, scientific process, chemistry process that happens. Bottled wines, they actually extract that carbonation we actually keep the carbonation in and add a little more, not as much as like a cola would be, but just enough pop. So when you pour it in a glass, you get a little bit of fizz. Yeah, it sounds kind of fun. And I think when you when you do pop a top on a can, we've all kind of been conditioned to kind of get that, want to hear that pop of that fizz. If it's not there, you might think, hey, it's flat, right? I, I don't know if that if that goes into your mind about that, but I think that's, that, that's really cool. Um, well, you, you said there's really not much of a, a – well, there's not a leader in the wine in the can category. Can you tell us a little bit more just a, about this category, just what the trends are happening right now in this niche and specifically the, the market that you're targeting? Yeah, absolutely. I mean I think you, you hit the nail on the head a little bit is it, it's a market that's rising, there's there's no question. People are looking for convenience. Um, it, the the CPG and beverage world, in a in a weird way, COVID's actually helped our business. Um, and I say that because I think we all went to a grocery store the past couple of years, and you know the fear that we'd run out of toilet paper, you know, and paper towel was was very evident, but. As much as, unfortunately, the on-premise business and bars and restaurants shutting down, the off-premise business of grocery stores uh, really accelerated. So it, it grew the spirits and beverage or adult beverage, you know, uh, area to grow exponentially. And now the things are as normal as I say we can be at this point. Uh, the wine category is actually a category that has just really erupted. 
and so again, back to that convenience and the whole notion of, you know, staying at home with friends and, and being kind of in your social circle, you know, near to home, it, it, the canned wine category is starting to grow. And what a lot of people don't equate to it, it's kind of interesting. You think of, let's say I went to get a six pack of beer and everybody thinks I've got a six pack of beer. Well, two 12 ounce cans is the same as one bottle of wine. So it's like two equals one if you just kind of kind of correlate some things together. Uh, and most people don't comprehend that. So two cans of our wine or two cans of any canned wine is actually one bottle of wine. Wow, that's a lot. And that sounds like a pretty good value too. Um well, I want us to start transitioning into the the meat of of why you're here because I I understand in, in talking to to you and Kevin that it's you know there are some challenges you know exponentially you know over just launching a you know a normal non alcoholic brand. What is it that makes this different, better, special? Well, there's a few things, and, and uh, the first thing is we're actually launching in New Orleans, which for the name of the brand makes all the sense in the world. Uh, you know, it, it's New Orleans is not, you know, or the state of Louisiana is not your typical market that, that you launch in, but because of who we are, what our name was, the story behind Blaine Kern, it, it only makes sense to, to, to launch in New Orleans. The second market, um, again, probably not necessarily top of mind, uh, is actually St. Louis, Missouri. Um, unbeknownst to even myself, St. Louis, you know, claims to have the second largest Mardi Gras uh, celebration in the entire country. So those are our two markets that we're launching. Uh, we just signed, you know, two, two distributors and, and we can get into that in a bit, two distributors in those markets and they're taking their first delivery. Uh, I've been guaranteed, uh, just in the media by the mayor of New Orleans saying Mardi Gras will happen this year after last year it was canceled because of what was going on with COVID, but Mardi Gras is happening this year. So back to the question of why is it different? Um, there is, uh, you know, one one or two other sparkling, uh, carb- I should say sparkling, carbonated wines that are out there, but they're honestly pretty rare. And so, you know, that's our one point of differentiation. Secondly is we don't take ourselves too seriously. We're definitely not a snobby kind of wine. We're a fun party wine. And so we're, we're taking the stance of just kind of enjoy everyday life uh, execution. And then at the end... Right now, uh, our first two blends are a strawberry, uh, both a white and red, and a blueberry white and red. I can tell you that we already have two other fruit flavors uh, down the pipeline of innovation. So you name your, you name your fruit, we're going to make it. And so right now, we're the only one out there that has these these other types of flavors. They don't exist. That's uh, that's pretty interesting, John. You know, you know what's what what I'd really like to get from you, and I think the listeners would too. This just this didn't take two to three weeks to to birth the idea, <laughs> go through the process, and and get it to market. Um, what are some of the challenges that uh, you faced when you you know when you finally took on this project? Well, right off the bat, is you know I, I said originally that the first iterations actually were, were made in our chairman Sanjeev's basement. Um, but for legalities of, of manufacturing in the adult beverage industry, you get to a certain gallon and you have to get a license. And there, there's all sorts of different licenses versus the non-alcoholic uh, world. 
Um, so that's the first challenge is finding a co-packer and going through all those government uh, licensing executions. So in terms of a co-packer, um, in the non-alcoholic world, you can find all sorts of co-packers to blend and make your product. It's literally sometimes like making a, you know, a recipe on a stove. This is definitely a, a bit more of an art form. And so you, you have to get the right you know, ratio of the fruit wines that we create, the right ratio of the blended wines we create to come up with that flavor and then, of course, mark that. And so the, the, the co-packer and partner that we have, you know, that was one hurdle. And then once we actually had, you know, a batch, then you go through the legal process. And, um, you know, as, as funny as it sounds is you always you have to go all the way back to prohibition. When prohibition was repealed, you have the federal government, then each state has their own laws. So. Me getting approval in Louisiana was one thing, then to get approval in Missouri is another thing. And if I go to another state, there's this whole process and it can take 30 days. It can take six months. And, you know, all of a sudden you've got product ready, but you can't even go to that state because you're waiting on documentation. Right. Right. Yeah. It's just, you know, it's, it, it's challenges that a lot of people just aren't aware of. And, and so I'm really curious um, if you think about getting your product, to the shelf, you've basically got to get a distributor. So take us through the process of what you went through and how you finally ended up with the current distributor you're using. There's uh, there's actually two things. So the other good thing that came out of COVID actually, because, um, you know, consumers were hurting. There were some of them were afraid to go to grocery stores. So I was talking about prohibition, how those laws really haven't changed. The government actually changed some of those laws and you can actually go to direct to consumer in, I think it's 36 states now for wine. So they, they've, they've loosened up on those laws or changed those laws. So you can, you can go to our website and, and order online, but again, I have to be legal to sell in those states. But your question about the distributor is in a three tiered selling system, you have to get through two hurdles and it doesn't matter if you're alcoholic or non-alcoholic. Uh, if you choose to go with a distributor, you have to sell into that distributor. So all these things that we're talking about, about flavor and uniqueness and why our brand versus their brand, etc., um, you have to convince that distributor to take on your product. And the fundamental difference between, um, alcohol and non-alcoholic is by law, you have to use a distributor to go into those retail locations. So the, it does have to go through, you know, that wholesale versus a direct wholesale scenario. So the hurdle is you have to get your distributor. And now I can, and again, some states you can, some states you can't, I can go talk to a major chain retailer, potentially get authorization for that retailer. And then I go to my distributor and say, Hey, guess what? We just, you know, we just uh, got approval for XYZ retailer start delivering to them, you know, the first of the month, or we go in as a collective group or the distributor says, Hey, I can get you into these retailers. So that distributor is key. You, you talk about a partnership. You have to get a distributor that truly believes in our brand. And our, our first distributor in, in Louisiana is uh, Bizu wines and they're, they're a smaller house, but this gentleman was so excited about getting the product. He knew the story about Blaine Kern he, he loved the concept. 
he didn't have a canned because he does everything in bottles, but he understood the marketplace, understood the uniqueness of what we had. And he said, man, I'm going to be so happy to represent you. And literally when the truck arrived at his dock, he sends me a text. He said, we got all the product. We're good to go. So it was, uh, you know, it's just refreshing to work with a partner that's really excited about it. So I think that's pretty interesting. You're able to work with, I, I would say that Visa Wines, maybe they're more like boutique mm-hmm. um, yeah. as opposed to a national player. So I think what's unique about this is you can work with a boutique distributor or you could go to a large regional or maybe even a national distributor. There, there are choices is, is kind of the point I'm making, if you'd agree. Yeah, I would agree. And, and while you can go with a large distributor, and get an incredible footprint right away. Uh, sometimes the challenges in there, and you have to be realistic, is how much time and energy are they going to put on our little startup brand versus a brand that you know makes them millions and tens of millions of dollars in one marketplace. And 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 I understand that. And uh, so this relationship uh, makes sense. Now, our distributor, which we're finalizing in Missouri, they are a larger house. However, they also understand and appreciate the importance of Mardi Gras uh, as a kickoff time frame. Uh, but, but they also appreciate and really think that it's a cool product. So they are much larger as well. So um, I really think it's more about the relationship with that distributor. Uh, and as long as they find uh, an understanding and what's unique about the product, then they're going to concentrate on it. Well, I think what's pretty interesting about this is you, you had mentioned a little while ago, you don't take yourselves too seriously. So right. that's probably going to differentiate you right off the beginning. Um, the other thing is your graphics, uh, the product itself. But even more importantly, I think about your experience and the companies you work for, uh, Red Bull, uh, Glasso, House of Bl- you didn't take yourself too seriously either. So it's almost like you're doing version 2.0, 3.0, 4.0. And I think that's very good. Yeah, well, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, listen, you and I work together at Coca-Cola and, and, and God bless anybody that wants to go to Coke for 20 or 30 years. Um, but that large corporate atmosphere probably is not really to my overall deep personal DNA, who I am. And so, yeah, you know, the, the, the brands that I've worked on have been, been fun. We've got a, we've got a, we have had brand platforms that make us fun for a reason. And that just really is more part of my personality. So I've been very blessed and fortunate to, to land with, with companies that, uh, you know, fit, fit my personality. Yeah. And you've, you've got this machine going now, you've finally got some distribution. What type of plans would you put in place to, for scaling and, and, and adding personnel? And what do you think that looks like you know, coming up here the next six months a year? Well, like any startup brand, working capital is always paramount uh, to success. And so, you know, you, you have to have enough working capital to keep all those engines running. Uh, you know, the alcoholic business is a little bit different because you do sell to that distributor. Um, you know, like I said, we're, we're looking at the first kickoff, you know, here, you know, this Mardi Gras, which is kind of fun because you don't really, your, your typical volume in the beverage industry doesn't start in March. Well, in our case, it is starting in March just because of the timing for Mardi Gras. But this is a product that, you know, it's, it's perfect timing as we roll into spring and summer because it's very refreshing. You can have this at the backyard barbecue. You can have it out on your boat on, on the water. 
uh, in the summer, you know, picnics, etc. And so in terms of scalability, I mean, you know, Kevin, you know, the drill better than anybody, you know, you get into a major retailer, you start uh, having influencers and the right social execution and, and product being seen and likes and, and shares, et cetera. And that starts to, you know, build out buzz to, you know, to grow in the markets that we get into and then go into larger markets. So um, really, you know, now at this point, we're, we're talking to some, you know, other major retail chains. And so once you have that distribution and, and get, the, get some buzz around some major retailers, then, uh, you know, hopefully, fingers crossed, you know, they start putting the pedal on the gas. Yeah, I think it's really good that you're able to draw on your experiences. Um, there were probably a certain number of things that worked at Red Bull that you could take with you. Um, to this new business. Same thing with Glasso's, same thing with House of, House of Blues. And is there any one thing that stood out that as you got ready to launch this, it was, yeah, I did this at Glasso. I know what I did right. I know what I did, I, I know what I did wrong and I'm going to change it. And I made it look like this instead. Is there any experience you're drawing on that um, maybe guided you with, with the launch of this? Yeah, I, I go back to myself tasting it. And if it didn't taste, uh, if it didn't have a good flavor to it, I probably would have been a little apprehensive. I'm just a firm believer in somebody going and actually put, you know, liquid to lips kind of scenario. And so the on-premise is going to be a big focus. I mean, you know, we didn't even address long, long time ago, early on in my career. I only know this because they just celebrated their 25th anniversaries. You know, 25 years ago, I was at, at, at Jim Beam, uh, when it was called Jim Beam Brands. And we always had an on-premise focus for, for launching products because people are, are a little more liberal to say, yeah, I'll, I'll try that, you know, $10, $15 martini versus going into a grocery store and, and, and grabbing that, you know, $50 bottle of vodka to make cocktails at home. So if they can try it once, then they're in an on-premise and either they, you know, they hopefully they love the product and they go from there. So, but that goes back to what I had done at, at, at Red Bull and Vitamin Water is the sampling. If you can get somebody to try your product and they fall in love with it, now, of course, when I was at Red Bull, and I'm going to be dating myself, but social media is not as old as you think it is, people. Uh, social, <laughs> social media did not exist. Facebook was not a thing in, in 2001 when I started at Red Bull. You are dating yourself. I, I know I am. Sir, but I have a rule on here. We really don't want to date ourselves. And I made the mistake of dating Kevin. I said 30 years. Yeah, so. yeah. yeah. you did. Thanks, I Tony. did. I did. <laughs> but but if you think about this, is that you know Red Bull became a gigantic brand uh, way before social media was invented. If social media had been around, I mean, Red Bull would have escalated to you know billions, you know, much much faster. But now it's it's so important of, of what influencers are. You you don't always need to have that massive Hollywood professional athlete celebrity versus that YouTuber that has probably more followers than some big NFL NBA persona. Uh, and that's just the reality. So that there's influencers that are totally different. You get your, your product into the right influencer on a social capacity, you, you, you literally just explode. So that's one differentiation. But the fundamental basis of seeding that product to that influencer 
having somebody taste it is still there. It's just kind of done, you know, I don't want to say a 180, you know, but at least a 90 degree turn. And this is how it happens now. Yeah, I think it's a it's a good point, John. If you think about and this dating both of us, we go back to our days at Coke. There are certain things you knew you had to check the box off on. And it could be you've got to have some TV at some point. Uh, you've got to run um, different spots with radio stations. It, it was just you had the box and you checked it. But you fast forward to where we are now because where social media is now, it, it's completely changed the game in a many times less expensive format. And in today's environment, you would think cost of everything are going up, uh, aluminum cans uh, because supply chain shortages. But social media, you could actually launch a brand and, and do it fairly successfully with a with kind of a low-end budget if you get the right people. Would, would you agree? Yes and no. And uh, I would say yes in the fact that you're absolutely right. You, you, you can have a lesser budget to launch things online, start getting followers, etc. As soon as you go to an influencer, I mean, literally back when I was at Red Bull or Glasso, you thought that case of product was, you know, $1,000, $5,000 worth because the, these influencers were so appreciated that you hooked them up with some free product. Now influencers are monetizing their value. And so that influencer that everybody on this, on this call has never heard of, they will ask you for five or $10,000 just to do one post. So probably not that big NBA type of multi-million dollar contract, but they are monetizing things. But yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, you can potentially be, have a more economical execution. Yeah. So t- Tony, think about this. This is why we have John on because <laughs> he's, he's given you nuggets of information that I think a lot of people may not have thought through or weren't even aware of. And it's uh, it's just very good because he can just draw on all these different experiences of what he's done and what's been effective and what hasn't. I think it's great. Well, and I just want to ask, though, because and I agree completely what you're saying, Kevin, you mentioned working capital is paramount. And then you kind of touched on you at some point, you know, you, you do want to bring on an influencer. In this case, it would make sense. Right. Mardi Gras, it's fun. You might have some people you know, posting things on TikTok or wherever, and, you know, it could just kind of go viral and, you know, you kind of pay for that. But in general, can you give us some ideas around what someone should try to budget? You did mention work. I, I know that's like, I don't want you to give away your trade secrets or anything like that, but what do we, can you even ballpark us a little bit here? Yeah. Every, every startup beverage company will say they're raising $5 million. I've never met one Start a beverage that doesn't throw out five million as a number. Why yeah. I don't know, um, but realistically, y- you need seven figures just to enter a conversation. It's just there's, you know, Kevin touched on it between you know supply chain and samples and making the juice, so to speak, and, and getting product samples out there. You know, doing a little bit of a push. You know, there's there's a lot of entrepreneurs that, that will do, you know, blood and sweat equity to, to get started. But eventually you, you need the, those numbers. And in my experience, those potential investors out there, uh, and especially when you're doing an angel 
and you've got zero sales. So if anybody can put together. Yeah, you're pre-rev. Yeah, anybody can put together a financial deck. Here's what we want to do in you know our first five years. It's like okay, great. Um, but what they what they will invest on, in my experience is the product. And when I mean the product, it's the story, it's the taste of the product, the concept itself. And when I also say that, that also includes the category. So they'll analyze the category. Does it make sense to them? The second thing they invest in is the team that's been assembled. Yes. I was just going to say a hundred percent. They are looking at you. They know you're an expert. They looked at your track record and that's got to give them some level of comfort when you do put together financial projections that you're not just you know being Pollyanna. You can actually give them some uh, real life projections and you know worst case scenarios. Well, and I appreciate that because that's you know hopefully the the background does help some of the, that thinking uh, for those investors. But I've been approached by some products that I think are pretty interesting. But the team that's assembled, or maybe the two founders, they've never worked in consumer packaged goods or they've never worked in beverage before. And I'm blatantly honest and saying, you need to have a board of advisors or somebody that has a resume like mine. And I'm not trying to be arrogant or pound my chest at all, but those investors want to know who's guiding these two people that have never worked in the space before. And so you have to assemble a team of experts around you and, and uh, maybe pay them some equity and, the, and those kinds of things just so those investors understand that their money is being spent properly by the group of people that understand the space. Yeah. And, you know, Tony, the, I, I want to add to this about John. I think what sets him apart is he's very, very realistic because he, he both he and I could build a five billion or a five million dollar uh, investment plan and it would look great. And it, it's well it's well written, makes sense. I got it, but he also understands the struggles that it takes for for startups, and so that's where the, the voice of reason comes in, saying if we did X, we could make Y. If we did, so he he gets it, and and that's what sets him apart. Obviously, I'm a talent guy. I'm a headhunter. Everyone knows that this is my favorite industry to work in. So. You know, as we kind of wrap up here, John, we can always have a follow-on later in the year to kind of see how the uh, how the launch has gone in your two markets, and we can just kind of do a, a recap at some point. But for a, a new brand starting off, particularly in beverage, can you think of the first two or three most critical hires you would imagine a beverage brand would need? Well, selfishly, from my marketing background, I'm going to say a marketer, but I'm going to back up for a second. <laughs> so uh, it, it, let's let's make the assumption that you're holding a, a live product in your hand. So the, the, the chemistry, the innovation, the creation is actually in your hand. The reality is you need a solid sales and distribution professional. Um, the, the people that I know, the people that I've worked with in the past – their contact list is impressive. And so if you are going to use a distributor, they know they have distributor contacts. If you don't need to use a distributor, they're going to have retail contacts because as much as the online world, the, the sending things direct via Amazon, et cetera, is growing, you'll notice that 
there's still plenty of brick and mortar grocery stores, convenience stores, et cetera, out there. And so, and especially in the beverage industry, you know, people get so enamored by Amazon and you pick up a six pack of anything, it's heavy. It, it, it's expensive to ship that. I don't care where you go, it's expensive versus, you know, a light t-shirt or something that you, that you might order. And so the sales and distribution person is probably the most, the most critical person because part of it is your first quarterly update with your investors is they want to get some timelines, understanding of where you are in terms of cash flow and current sales. And so, you know, they want to see some progress in sales and distribution. So I, I think that's actually the you know, critical first hire. Then in terms of a marketing side of things is uh, I said it kind of, you know, uh, as a joke, but it is true. Your best sales and marketing or your best sales and distribution person can get the product in the stores. But if you can't pull it off the shelf because nobody knows the brand, it doesn't matter how good your sales and distribution person is. So you have to have those two types of things kind of in tandem. And I go back, the reason, part of the reason why Red Bull was so successful, because it poured a massive amount of execution and marketing first, way before it ever started selling the product. Build the demand, the interest, the intrigue about the product and have people begging to understand where they can find it. Great advice. Great advice. And I totally agree, John, because the other thing too, when, when you have that investor meeting, uh, if they start peeling back the onion a little bit, the, the question becomes, wait a minute, we're only in 10% of the market. If we got to 90%, just think <laughs> how much money we would make, yeah. but it's not that easy. <laughs> yeah. In, in our business, it's called ACV or, uh, yeah. and, and to get that all commodity volume to go to that 10%, the 20% and, you know, gosh, sometimes as, as a startup, you know, you're, you're, you hope to be sold as a company at 30 or 40 percent ACV. Um, you know, I think only Coke, Pepsi, and Heineken are probably at 100 percent ACV. Well, maybe Red Bull now as well. But um, um, yeah, the math makes sense. And, and if you're if you're a CPA, uh, you could probably figure that out. But uh, to your point, it's not always that easy. You've got one retailer that takes it, and then the next retailer goes, "Yeah, I'll think about it." I'm not really sure. And if that's a large retailer with thousands of doors, you're not, you're not at 100 or 90. Very true. Very true. Yeah, because and if it was that easy, we'd have a lot more beverage companies out there running around being successful. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Well, to your point, when it takes at least seven figures to do something right, at some point, that really separates the men from the boys. You can play around all you want with formulations in your kitchen, but at some point, if you really want to get that product out, you're going to have to come up with those investors. Uh, John, Kevin, I think this has been a great introduction to Juju Brands and I think um, a nice introduction to you, Kevin. This is going to be, you know, hopefully one of, of many podcasts we'll do this year. And John, you know, I'm going to start checking my front porch for some some cans of wine. I, I, I mean, I should have maybe said that offline, but guess what? You know? Well, I, th- I think we, I think we can take care pop, of that. Pop, fizz, fizz. Let, I, let's get this thing going. I think I can take care of that for you. <laughs> Let, let's get that party started. Now, of course, we're in Georgia, so maybe that, that that's not going to work. Um, but 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 in all seriousness, this has been a great deep dive. And what I want folks to do 
If you're listening to this or if you've seen, if you're watching this because you saw it on LinkedIn, I want you to share it in your network so you can kind of get that um, viral aspect going for this brand. I think it'd be kind of fun to see what, what could happen there. And particularly if you're in those markets, take some pictures and let's post it back on, on LinkedIn. And if you're just listening on, on, on iTunes or Spotify, that'd be great. We'd love a rating. Uh, we're trying to increase the influence of these brands out of the marketplace. So, Kevin and John, thank you both so much for being here today. No, thank you, Tony. I appreciate it. If uh, your audience can go to MrMardiGrasWines.com and find out what we're all about and find us on uh, Facebook and Instagram as well. You know what? I did. I should have asked you for that. So yeah. So so the economy. I totally. I just look. I totally dropped the ball. It it it's gonna happen at some point during the podcast. I stick my foot in my mouth. So it happened at the forty minute mark. So you're you're fortunate. Um, so it's MrMardiGras.com. Is that MrMardiGrasWines.com? MrMardiGrasWines.com. And then wh- where are you on Facebook? Uh, under under Mr. Mardi Gras Wines and both of them. Both Great. Facebook and Instagram. Great. All right, guys. Let's get out there and, and check this brand out. And we wish you, you much success launching you. It's coming up here on Fat Tuesday. Absolutely. Thank you, guys. Yeah, best, All right, of guys. Luck. best of luck, Joe. Take care. Best of luck.